Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. John chapter 2. Go with me quickly to John chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from the Never Incorrect Version. Anyone got a Bible today? Still believe in the Bible here at Free Chapel? Come on. If you brought the genuine pleather, just hold it up. If you got your, you've been carrying this Bible faithfully. Come on, where's the real Christians at? Just the genuine Bible covers, doves on fire, highlighters up front. Come on, if you got the real Bible, hold it up. Come on, real Bible, hold it up. Hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. Now keep it up if you're single. Go ahead, look around. Don't grab your friend's Bible, homie. He's like, you bring your own Bible to church. Hold it up if you're single. Come on, these are the people you want to date right here. You were praying for a miracle. You're welcome. As we're turning to John who does that? As we're turning to John chapter two, I just want to lay some, some, some ground rules, some terms of engagement for our conversation today. And, and it's really behind the revelation of response. Now, listen, every communicator loves when someone says, yeah, that's epic. Preacher white boy. I like your skinny jeans, you know, throws out a hallelujah or a table of contents reference because you're new to the response game. Like we all love it. But the reality is, is it's not a hype thing. It's actually a holy thing. We need to understand there's a revelation behind our response. And the Bible tells us this, that all of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. This is such good news. Everything he's promised you, everything he's promised your family, your finances, your life, your legacy, your children, your children's children, your children's children's children, he's already said yes to. The Bible says God's not pondering, God's not wondering, God's not hoping you'll finally figure it out and get it right. No, the Bible said through his son Jesus, he's already said yes to everything he's promised you, but there's a contingency in that passage of scripture. Do your own biblical due diligence. And the contingency is this. He says, everything I've promised you, I've said yes to in Christ Jesus and with your amen, which means every time God's truth is being communicated, whether it's from this platform or on a device or from a devotional you're reading, every time God's truth is being communicated, his promises are never looking for your assessment they're simply looking for your agreement. In fact, if I could be honest, this is not even the, I'm like, I'm so off track, but I just want to get this out to you. Do you know that the battle of your life is the battle for agreement? I'm convinced that the enemy and God are after the same thing daily. When you woke up this morning, there was a battle for your agreement. Will you agree with what the enemy has said, or are you going to agree with what God has said? Are you going to agree with the pain of your past, or are you going to agree with the plan of his promise? Are you going to agree with your shame and your sin, or are you going to agree with your Savior and your salvation? There's a battle as you're driving here. Are you going to agree with what you see, or are you going to agree with what God has said? There's a battle every day, and it's for your agreement, and we have the ability to align ourselves with what God's wanting to release by not trying to assess it, but simply agree with it. Which means when you say amen during a message, you're not putting a period at the end of a prayer, but you're putting an exclamation point at the beginning of a declaration. You're saying, so be it. Let that live in my life. I'm in an agreement and alignment with what God is releasing on the planet right now. Is there an amen? Amen. Come on, is there any agreement today? My definition of revival is not a certain worship set or certain manifestation. It's simply more yeses than noes in the room. When there's more agreement in this room than disagreement, anything is possible. Thank you, my brother. I needed that one. John chapter two. Let's get to the primary text today. Are you with me? Are you there? On the third day, say on the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said, they have no more wine. Look to your neighbor and say, be out of wine. 
Now, Jesus, on behalf of National Women's Day, said, woman. <laughs> just, sorry. It was funnier in the back. It filled up front, but it's just, woman. Go ahead and just do that. Woman. Now, only Jesus can respond in this form and fashion of the opposite sex. Mel, take note. Never use this phraseology ever in your lifetime. And all the women said, we got you, girls. Jesus said, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Has his hour come? So brilliant. This is like the most intelligent room I've ever communicated to. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom inside and said, hey, listen, homie, everyone brings out the, the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after everyone's had too much to drink, aka they're inebriated. Like, that's just what the Bible's saying. But you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and the disciples believed in him. If you're taking notes today, and I encourage you to do, it's biblically founded that you're more likely to get into heaven if you do take notes. I'm just joking. If you're visiting, it doesn't work like that, trust me. But you might get to the gate, and they'd be like, show me your work like a math problem. Like, how did you get here? Do you have one thing that says Pastor Jensen, Anchors of Diamonds? Like, one note, please. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is two words, super simple. Now, faith. Now, faith. Can you just elbow two to three people and just say, now, faith, now, faith, now, faith, now, faith, now, faith. Let me just pray for you one last time quickly. Father God, we thank you that you're here. Anything's possible. We thank you that you're a God who's desperately wanting to reintroduce yourself to our nation as the God of love. God, I pray, Lord, that my words would be an assignment to every heart, to every life, moving each person back to purpose, back to promise, back to your plan, back to your divine design. God, and I pray as always that I would not be a man that stands on a platform and becomes famous, but I would be the man that becomes a platform that you stand on and are made famous this morning. May we leave here and talk about one name and one name alone, and that is Jesus Christ. We give you all the honor and all the praise, and thank you that the Lakers are back on top, and all God's people said, go Lake Show, go Lake Show. You know, Many of you are probably familiar with this passage of scripture, but you might be new to a faith community like this, new to a conversation, maybe not understanding what's actually transpiring, but this is a, a miracle that Jesus does. You know, it's like, hey, there's some water, and now that water's wine, you know, kind of epic if you're a, a wine connoisseur, but many believers kind of just move on through this passage of scripture, and if you're to be honest, like me, I grew up a church kid and lived in 100 homes before I was 25. This is just like one of these miracles I didn't spend a lot of time paying attention to. It's kind of like, hey, can we get to the better miracles? You know, like, what about that spitting on some dirt and making some miracle mud right in that blind mind's eye? That's pretty epic. Or what about that Patrick Swayze one where he's out on the water and it's a ghost, you know, and he's defying gravity. Or one of my favorite, especially when I'm hungry right now at lunchtime, is that multiplying of the filet fish Happy Meal and you know, thousands of people getting fed or like the dead being raised. Like you're like, Jesus, maybe you're warming up. Maybe you don't know what you're doing yet. Like you're maybe you're getting used to this miracle thing you got going on. But the reality is, is, is this miracle is way more significant than I believe many of us, including myself, have realized. Because this is Jesus's 
first miracle. God has put skin on and he's begun to occupy the same place in space as other human beings and begin to move in a form and a fashion that no generation in human history has seen before. And when Jesus shows up, he's not continuing an existing religion. You need to understand he's bringing something brand new to the planet. And there's a theological understanding in scripture called the law of first mention that says when something is introduced into scripture in its first time, the first time it's referenced, the first time it's mentioned, it's actually its purest form, its simplest form, and the form in which God originally designed it to exist. Are you following me? I'm going to make it attractive for you in a second because no one's like, oh, law of first mention. I love that. I get it. But the law of first mention says when something's introduced into scripture, it's its simplest form, its purest form, and the form in which God originally designed it to exist. For example, let, let's, use, let's use the identity of humanity. Like if you were to try to figure out God's plan and purpose for your life, your original divine design, why you were created, why you have breasts and steps on this place called the planet, you could not start in the New Testament. You could not even start in the New Covenant because that is not where God reveals God's plan for humanity. You'd have to go all the way back to the genesis of existence to understand God's original design for each and every one of you. Are you with me? So for example, one thing we learn, if we just go back to Genesis and take the tour with me, is that everyone in this room was created in God's image. Now we're like, oh, that's cool. Now you need to understand how significant that is. Because at some point before you and I ever exist, there's a battle in heaven. Now this battle was not between God and Lucifer. This battle was between angels and demons. Make no mistake, God has no equal. God has no rival. God and the enemy have never been fighting, have never been in competition. The created thing cannot compete with the thing that created it. It was angels fighting angels. Father God stood up and said, I've had enough. And he cast them down to this planet, not as paradise, but as punishment. And the Bible tells us that these fallen angels, Lucifer, now Satan, are you with me? Is occupying this dirt. This dry, chaotic wasteland. They don't move the dirt. They can't make anything from the dirt. They do nothing with the dirt. They just occupy the dirt. And then God shows up and begins to build for us a paradise, prison bars for them, mountains and trees and birds, and living creatures. And everything that he does is actually a testimony to the enemy of what he couldn't do without God. But then he comes to create us, you and me. This is going to get so good. I know where I'm going. He literally begins to take the fabric of the world the enemy could do nothing with the dirt that he could not make something with, create something out of, because the devil has no creative ability. He can only distort what's already been created. So God begins to take the dirt, and the Bible says that one of the reasons why Lucifer fell is because he wanted to be like God. Isaiah says he wanted to carry the image of God, be like God, and have the essence of God without God. So one of the reasons why Lucifer fell is because he wanted the image of God without God. Now God takes the very dirt of the fabric of the world he could do nothing with and says, let us Make man in our image. This is what this means. Don't get excited yet. I'll, I'll explain it. It means that your face alone is a reminder to the enemy of his greatest defeat. It means that on your worst day, your bad face day, you hit every ugly branch on the ugly tree on the way down day, when you feel exhausted, when you feel defeated, when you feel depleted, on your worst day, when you get out of bed, your image alone is a reminder to the enemy of the thing he wanted to be, that he could not be without God, that God created you to be with God. Your face alone means no matter what, devil, we've already won the battle. Look at who I look like. And then God doesn't speak us into existence. He breathes us into existence. 
Why is this significant? Because God's words create worlds, which means every time God spoke something to existence, his words created the reality in which that thing could live, but the limit in which it could exist. For example, God's the OG. So when he said tree, his words created the reality in which the tree could live, but the limit in which it could exist because his words created it, but defined it and confined it. Are you following me? So when he said bird, his word created the reality in which a bird could live, but the limit in which it could exist. When he said mountain, his words created the reality in which the mountain could live, but the limit in which it can exist, which is why bird can never be well, well could never be tree, tree could never be monkey, and monkey could never be man, because these were all things that were spoken into existence, but we were breathed into existence. But when it came to you and me, he didn't confine us or define us. He said, I'm going to give you the very creative voice that lives inside of me is going to live inside of you. Right now, the very breath resonating over your vocal cords is the very creative breath of God inside of you, which is why he said, guard your mouth, not for fun, but for reality, because the power of life and death live inside of your tongue. Just like me, I've given you permission for your words to create your worlds. And then the third thing he gave us was his authority. He said, have dominion over everything. Now, if you start in the New Testament, you've missed the significance of your creation. But today, I hope you've been liberated to understand you carry the very image of God. You have the creative breath of God inside of you, and you've been given authority and dominion over everything, which is why when the enemy comes after you or his church, he starts with your identity, then he starts with your voice, then he starts with your authority, which is why there's been such an attack on the identity of a generation, especially women of a generation, because the devil wants to disconnect you from the very weapon you were created to be in the image of God that you carry daily. That's just for fun and for free, the power of the law first mentioned. So now, shall we go back to our primary text today to look at the first miracle that Jesus ever does under a new lens of the potential of what it's actually saying? You with me? First thing we could take from this incredible story, number one, if you missed this point, you missed the whole message, get out your pen, write this one down, super significant. Number one, Jesus likes to party. I think I got a slide. Jesus. Jesus. Some of you are like, I knew it. I love this partying, Jesus. It's like, I knew he liked the party. What I'm trying to say is that if Jesus wasn't at the party, Jesus wouldn't have been there. You're like, Jedediah, like we have Pastor Jensen speaking and all these guests. You better drop a better revelation bomb than if Jesus wasn't there, he wouldn't have been there. Here's what I'm really trying to say. Would we as a church avoid the enemy invades? So fascinating to me that Jesus is about to do his first miracle, and it's not at a synagogue. It's not at a place of worship. It's not at a small group meeting. It's not at a next steps class. He's building the case that his power, his authority, his love is not limited to a room. It's not limited behind walls. It's not limited to the context of a faith conversation, but that it should be in the darkest places, the hurting places, the overlooked places, the broken places. His first miracle starts at a party. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, no, I'm not preaching at you, friend. I'm sitting next to you having the conversation hit my heart as well. If many of us were to be honest, we wouldn't be at the party because then Sharon's there and she's a boozer. And then when she has a few, she starts smoking and I don't want to smell like hell on my way to heaven. And then the F words start coming out and oh my God, and let's, that's, sorry, that's my weak, nasally Christian voice. Like, oh my God, it's so dark there. It's so many people. Oh, there's, can I tell you something, friends? Darkness doesn't overshadow light. 
Darkness is just the absence of light. Which means if it's dark in that school, if it's dark in that industry, if it's dark in that place of business, if it's dark in, in that community, it's not because darkness won, it's because light hasn't showed up yet. So if it's dark there, it's simply because you're not there yet, which means we don't need to be afraid of it. We need to stand up in faith and we need to invade it. We were not called to be news reporters telling the world how dark the darkness is. We're called to be a light to show the world how bright his light can be. Which means... Jesus did not die so that we come to church. He died so that we could become the church. I can't imagine 2,000 years ago as our Savior hung on a cross, whipped and beaten, bruised and bleeding, with a crown of thorns crushing his skull, looked up to his father saying the words, why have you forsaken me? And God responded, it's cool, Jesus. We're going to have them for 90 minutes on Sunday. Thumbs up. Jesus did not die so that you could come to church. He died, hear me, friends, so that we could become the church. And here's the challenge. If church is something you come to, it's something you leave. I like this side. I'm going to come over here. <laughs> if church is something we come to, it's something we leave, which means... One of the many things we do in life is simply church. I go to church, I go home, I go to the gym, I, I go home, I go shopping, come on somebody, I, I go home, I go get coffee, legal addiction, celebrate it, I go home. It just becomes one of the many things we do in life. But when church is not something you come to, but it's something you become, hear me, then everything you do in life, you actually do as the church. So you're not a second grade teacher. Enduring those kids five days a week to finally get to church on Sunday. It's actually the church that's doing the teaching and the educating. You're not an entrepreneur or a businessman that's creating wealth simply to bring a tithe check to church on Sunday, but it's actually the church that's leading the business, that's hiring the staff, that's creating the business plan. You're not a stay-at-home mom stuck hoping one day you can get back to church. It's actually the church raising those kids, parenting that home, raising up a generation. Are you hearing me? Church is not something we come to. It's something we become, which means this isn't even church. That's your pastor. You're like, what? Heresy. Take the mic, Pastor Jake. This is us gathering as the church to get equipped, empowered, refueled, refocused, recommissioned to go be the church, which means Sundays have to be our Sundays, and we've only gathered to scatter. And if we were actually to set this room up right, we would actually change the chairs to face the door so that every word is only lived with the world in mind. It is an injustice for me to preach to you, you to come back to me. Sorry to make it awkward. Can we get a direct shot of our face right here? Just joking. <laughs> it would be an injustice if this was the transaction. You to me, me to you, and then you went home, did nothing, came back, and we did this again. It's everyone's being turned around to face the door. The Bible says the, the five-fold gifts of the ministry have been given not to train saints to watch us do the works of the ministry, but to equip saints to empower you to do works of the ministry, which means we will not reduce you to simply selling church, but we're going to empower you and equip you to sharing Christ. It's time for us to move from coming to becoming because the devil does not care how many Christians sit on Sunday. You know, the largest church in the Old Testament was millions strong in slavery. 
The devil did not care how many worship services they had, how many sacrifices they made. They had no power. They had no purpose. They were in bondage. The devil does not get nervous when our conferences are filled. The devil does not get nervous when we have attendance records on Sunday. He does not care, and he's not worried about how many people sit on Sunday. He gets scared, and he is afraid when everyone moves from sitting on Sunday to standing for something on Monday, preaching Jesus on Tuesday, and being a light on Wednesday, and having worship on Thursday, and inviting people on Friday. Are you hearing me? Man, I've taken way too much time. Jesus wasn't at the party, Jesus wouldn't have been there. I encourage you, friends, it's time for us to redirect the purpose of our lives, and this is not the final destination. Either is salvation. If it was it, the moment you got saved, you'd be taken home. Why did he leave you on the planet? It's because the goal was not to get you to heaven. The goal was to get you to become the church to bring heaven to earth. Second thing we can learn from this passage of scripture as we move quickly. Let's get the keys up to help me end on time. Second thing we can learn from this passage of scripture is, is really in the, the conversation that Jesus' mother has with Jesus. I, I mean, they're out of wine and she runs to Jesus. You can pull the verse up on the screen and John, and she says these words to Jesus. Jesus, we have no more wine. And Jesus says these words. It's, it's not my what? It's not my, was it his time? We're gonna just help everybody. No, but I'm just going to set you up. Just everyone gets to be a winner today. Was it his time? No. Was it his time? No. Smart room. Was it his time? No. Then why do you do the miracle? I heard the one yes. Then why do you do the miracle? Have you ever wondered? Jesus' mother comes to him and says, Jesus, we're out of wine. And he goes, it's not my time. And then suddenly he turns water into wine. Sorry that it rhymed. It's apologies. Have you ever wondered why he does the miracle after clearly saying it's not my time to do the miracle? For me, the revelation is not in the fact that it's Jesus's mother because that's the one he reduced to woman and said, it's not my time. For me, it's in the drastic difference between the two statements she issued to her son. The first one, she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, we're out of wine. What is she saying? Jesus, look at my need. Look at my need. Jesus says, it's not my time. And then she moves from a need-based statement to a faith-based declaration. She moves from look at my need to Jesus, look at my faith. She moves from pleading and begging to proclaiming. Jesus, we're out of wine. It's not my time. But do whatever he tells you to do. See, friends, you need to understand, as believers, we have to move from pleading and begging. If we're to be honest, some of us don't understand how good our God is. God says these words, listen, I've given you my greatest gift called my son, Jesus. How will I not freely give you all things? He said these words, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that's the dunamis power that resides in armies. That's the power to create wealth. That's the power over sickness and death. That power lives inside of you. And we go to Jesus and we're like, Jesus, please do something. He's like, I did do something. 2,000 years ago. Tag, now it's your turn. Stop pleading and begging me and start proclaiming and declaring what I've called you to operate in. Which means it's not Jesus, my daughter's sick. It's stand up, be healed. The Bible says, by your stripes, you shall be healed. It's not Jesus, save our nation. Jesus said, I saved every nation 2,000 years ago. Now be the church, be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus, look, everything's so bad. Are you kidding me? 
Move from pleading and requesting to proclaiming and declaring. Now, Jesus, Jesus made it clear it wasn't his time. Was it? Come on, you're the smart ones. You got it. You're, you're on track. Was it? But he did it anyways. Someone wants to get this. Someone wants to get this. It's not my time. But he did it anyways. It's not. It's, it's not your time. But he does it anyways. It's not his time, but he did it anyways. Could that mean that faith can pull into the now? What God's reserved for later? Could it mean that you have the ability to move heaven and to move earth and to move God by standing in a moment of faith? He said, it's not my time, but Mary said, my faith wants it right now. And you might want to release it a year from now, 10 years from now, but there's something significant when we move from hoping and wishing to actually authentically believing again. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, which means faith is for now. Hope is for tomorrow. Friend, you don't need faith for tomorrow. Hope's for tomorrow. We need now faith for today. So I know what the doctor's been telling you, but now faith. I know what the coronavirus has been doing, but now faith. I know what the divorce papers say, but now faith. I know the news is saying that America's lost and we're never going to have unity or we're never going to have love, but now faith. I don't know what you've been facing, but it's time for you to move what you've been facing to the place of faith and say, I want to move into the right now what God's reserved for later. It's time of you. It's time for us to move from hoping and wishing, from begging and pleading to standing and proclaiming. Mountain, be moved. Storm, be quiet. Chaos, be calm pain of the past, peace because of his promise. It's time for us to stand up and speak to our season, our circumstance, and our situation and pull into the right now what could be reserved for years from now, which means the level of your faith, friend, actually determines the level of your breakthrough. The level of your faith determines the level of your breakthrough. Let me, let me show you this in the Bible. There's a story. I'm going to move quickly through it. Roman centurion says in Matthew eight, you can do your own biblical due diligence, but Matthew eight, there's this Roman centurion who's got a sick servant and brings him to Jesus. Jesus goes to Jesus. Jesus would heal my servant. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Get this friend. What I've loved about our God, God always wants us to articulate the level of miracle we're expecting. He literally goes, what do you want? Me to do for you because he knows we could reduce our request to a blessing instead of a breakthrough. Tell me the level of faith you are expecting me to operate in. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And this Roman centurion says, well, I'm a man like you. I'm a man who's under authority. Therefore, I'm over a hundred men. He recognized the posture and position of Jesus was one that was under his father. Therefore, he had the ability to be over everything. Friend, this is not the point of the message, but can I encourage you, please get authority. This is something we're so afraid of, especially when we have influence or affluence, but it's not about the person, it's about the principle. You have to actually come under to be over. I have to have a pastor. Thank God I can say, Pastor Jensen, you're my pastor. I've come under authority, therefore I have authority. Some of you, your finances are broken because you've never brought it under the authority of tithing. Some of your relationship are broken, you've never brought your life under the authority of accountability. Listen, I'm just telling you, friend, it works. 
This Roman centurion says, I'm a man like you. I'm under, therefore I'm over. And then he begins to make up a miracle. You need to know what he said had never happened before. He's just making it up. He realized that if he had a blank check, why would he stop writing zeros? That's what faith is. Not a blank check for pleasure, a blank check for purpose. And he sits there and he goes, you know what? You don't need to come to the house. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you don't even need to say anything. Just text it in. Just like a quick Snapchat video, if you could do it, Jesus, like he's, you know, it's like just begins to make, are you following me? He begins to make up the miracle. Now, Jesus leaves this conversation. We're about to end. Don't worry. You're going to get home in time to, uh, you know, do whatever you do. He says these words. Go, Jesus talking to the centurion, Matthew 8, 13. Go, let it be done just as you believed it to be. What is Jesus saying? You made it up. You don't have any reference point for me just saying a miracle would take place. Every other context in Jesus' journey on the planet, he was in proximity to the person. He ever spoke to them directly or he touched them. This is the first time in scripture he's not even going to the room. He's not even coming in the vicinity. And the guy says, just listen, just say the words and it's done. And Jesus says, you made it up. Let this thing be done just as you made it up to be. Which means what, friend? Could some of our lives simply be a self-fulfilling prophecy of what we believed it to be? Could you be walking in the very thing you believed it to be? You know what? There's no good men left. I'm going to be single forever, just as you believed it to be. You know, my marriage is not going to make it. No marriages work, just as you believed it to be. I'm always going to be in debt. I'm always going to be poor. My grandfather was, my father was. It's just who we are, just as you believed it to be. I'm never going to stand in purpose. I'm never going to stand in promise. It's always going to be delayed. It's always going to be denied, just as you believed it to me. Our city's too far gone to find Jesus, just as you believed it to be. Our nation will never be a nation under God again, just as you believed it to be. I'll never see a miracle. They'll never get saved. We'll never have a breakthrough. Come on, listen to some of the things we've been agreeing with. And God's saying, just as you believe it to be. But what would it look like if you shifted what you were believing it to be? What would you look like if you stood in honor and tapped into the currency of heaven, the purchasing power of heaven called faith, and started drafting a different narrative? You know, as we look at our city and our nation, can I just be honest with you? I spend so much time in the future, like eight, nine months ahead of now reading our headlines, watching the news. You're like saying, Jedediah, what do you mean? You're going to the future. This has got really weird. I don't know if there's a theological backing for what you're saying. I'm envisioning what I believe it to be in our nation and in the city of Los Angeles post one day LA. I'm envisioning what's going to happen when 20,000 people embrace the city, the homeless, the foster care, those in prison, those broken. I'm envisioning what's going to be the headlines. The headlines are going to change and we're going to see, guess what? Violence has dropped. Corruption is changing. Homelessness numbers are decreasing. A church is rising up. Anything could happen when love gets involved. Friend, what are you believing it to be? In fact, stand to your feet. We didn't do this in first service, but we got a minute. Stand to your feet. You got to do what I say. I got the mic. Would you graciously please stand to your feet if you can? We're going to end in a second, but God's here. It's time to activate our faith and move into agreement. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Listen, this is going to be uncomfortable. Maybe saying, Jedediah, what's going on? Well, you'll get back to your regularly scheduled program next week, okay? They might never let me back, okay? This is it. 
can you do me a favor and journey three months to your future, six months ahead to your future, one year ahead to your future? Can you begin to look at the headlines you're reading, the headlines of your life? Can you just take a moment in faith if you have to close your eyes, whatever you have to do just to envision three months from now, six months from now, one year from now, and just take a moment. Who's saved that wasn't saved? What about that father that you gave up on? What about that cousin who left the church? Who, who's having an encounter that wasn't having an encounter? What miracles are taking place? Here's what I'm asking you, church. What are you believing it to be? If God was to ask you right now, one year from now, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer be? Just take a moment. Now, if you have the confidence, if you have the capacity just to begin to step in faith, would you begin to open your mouth? Even if you're watching online at home, we're almost done, but even if you're at home in your bedroom in pajamas, can you just take a moment to vision, to envision your future and to get your faith to catch up to your future? And can you begin to tell this room what you see? Go ahead and open. Some of you have always wanted to be loud in church. This is your moment. Just to take this journey of faith, trust me. Can you just begin to tell God what you see? Can you begin to open your mouths and talk to that debt, talk to that crisis, talk to that chaos, talk to that circumstance, talk to that relationship issue? Can you talk to your addiction? Can you talk to those suicidal thoughts? Can you talk to that anxiety? Come on, I know what you've done, but can you talk about what God's about to do? Can we just shift our faith? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.